Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Okay, thank you. Thank you for everybody who's uh, doing service on the meeting. And I'm, uh, I'm here because I was invited to speak here. That's why I'm here. I was invited by Nancy to speak. Um, and um, I asked if, if there was a specific topic to speak about. She said, you can pick the topic. And that was a very dangerous thing to do. Um, I have a topic that um, it's kind of been close to my heart. I've shared it with sponsees, people I've worked with, but I've never really shared it on the group level. So this will be kind of uh, interesting for me, hopefully for you too, the experiment. Um, and it has to do with step four. Um, I was taken through the steps. Um, using uh, mainly the, the big book of, of Alcoholics Anonymous as the uh, guide to an instruction manual for working the steps. Um, in addition, I would read, you know, also supplement that with the white book of essay and uh, the tools of essay. Um, but that was the main book that I would use, uh, you know, to actually work the steps. And, and um, I have found it to be the most um, the most effective and the most clear in terms of instructions on how to work the steps and, um, and how to work the steps in a timely way where, you know, I don't have to stay suffering in early steps for months at a time um, because, it, you know, it, it takes to, to get to that spiritual experience. I got to get through all the steps. Um, so, um, so I was taken through, you know, the big book way and um, I've noticed that when it comes to step four, um, there are many people do work it the way that it is brought down in the big book, but they seem to skip like a certain aspect of step four. And it's been very, just very strange to me that people do skip that um, because I, I happen to believe based on just what it says in the book that it actually is such a important stage in the process. So what, what I mean is, to get a little more specific, but, you know, so in terms of step four, made a fear, searching and fearless in, moral inventory of ourselves. Um, so the big book, you know, tries to have us take a look at the three big areas of where selfishness is blocking us from our higher power, where selfishness is getting in the way of us turning our will and our life over to the care of God as we understand him. And what is, you know, basically making us so uncomfortable at this thing called life that keeps sending us, you know, into lust to medicate. And um, the number one offender, it says, is resentments. And, and the most thorough inventory is the resentment inventory. And it's got a bunch of different columns. Now, if, if you know, it's officially, I guess people like to say that it's got four columns, you know, um, but so what that would look like, and, and I've seen this in, in many, 
um, in many like uh, step working sheets that you'll find online. Um, and um, also just uh, when I hear people talk about how, uh, step four, a lot of times it's got these four columns. So you've got, you know, I'm resentful at someone, you know, so who am I resentful at? You know, what is the resentment? You know, how does it affect me? Which instinct, you know, is being, which instincts are being threatened? You know, is it my self-esteem? Is it my pride, my ambitions, my pocketbook, my personal relations, my, my sexual relations, my security? Um, and then after that, we take a look at our part, you know, putting that aside, we look at our part and we say, you know, where have we been at fault? What are, which defects do we have that are really keeping this resentment going? Uh, and contributing to the resentment, right? And that's a simple understanding, and I, I get that. But um, there's actually something that happens in between step three and four, uh, sorry, uh, in between column three and four, before we look at our part. And um, I have just found that it often is not mentioned, it's just skipped. So I thought I might share with you a little bit, uh, and, and I'd love to hear about people's experience with that. Um, if they have, if it is a part of their step four of their program, um, and uh, maybe share a little bit how I take people through that process, and it's a process that helped me a lot. Um, so, um, if you all right, if you have a big book, so I'm looking at page sixty six, and uh, I'm looking at you know. So after it, it discusses those first three columns, um, it talks about it says you know we turn back to the list. So this is like, you know, there, there are a lot of, in the big book, like action, calls to action. Um, so I, I take those seriously. So it says, we turn back to the list for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We began to see that the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others, fancied or real, had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered, but how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. So what happens now? So the big book says, this was our course. Um, and this is the part that I think a lot of people skip. I call it, this was our course. And it's, it, it's, it's a, it's a what, like he describes it here, an entirely being prepared to look at things at an entirely different angle even before I start to go into my own defects of character. And here's what it says. This was a, so, um, so here's, you know, maybe I'll do it like this. I'm going to walk you through kind of how I work this with somebody. And then let's see if we can find it in the text or if I'm just making things up. So basically before I have a person look at their own part, there's defects of character. I say, okay, as the result of your own defects of character, have you ever behaved in a similar way um, to, the, to the, the person you resent? Um, doesn't have to be that you did exactly the same thing, but have, you know, as the result of being in your own defects of character, have you ever behaved in a similar way? And if a person is really honest, they, they'll look and they'll say, well, you know, most of the time people do things that make me resentful, you know, I think they're inconsiderate or they're selfish or they're self-centered or they're unempathetic, right, uh, to me or to others. And I could probably look at my own experience if I'm pretty honest, if I'm an addict and a selfish person, 
Um, have I ever been inconsiderate? You know, have I ever, you know, acted selfishly, unempathetically, uh, put my own needs ahead of somebody else? Uh, been, um, been, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Been, um, what's the opposite of empathy? Been, um, uh, forget the word, but uh, I guess unfeeling or, um, all right, I can't remember, it'll come to me at some point. Um, so callous, you know, to, to another person. And uh, probably the answer is yes. Okay, answer is yes. So when so if I go back into times that I have been that I have you know behaved in a similar way that I've been acting out of my own defects of character, um, when I did that, was I doing that because I really intended to cause harm? Did I really want to hurt and damage people, or did I do what I did because I was so stuck in my own defects of character? and stuck in self that I wasn't able to relate myself properly to the other person at that time, at that moment. I wasn't really able to empathize or feel for another, the sensitivity necessary to not do the thing that I did that was, you know, harmful. And if I look at that honestly, I think most people will say, yeah, like I didn't really, I never really, really set out to hurt somebody. I was really just or even if I did, I would, it, the only reason, way that I would get to that point would be because I was just so stuck in my own self that I could not really f relate myself properly to the other person at that time. Okay, answer is yes. You know, so next question I would ask would be, well, you know, understanding that you really didn't mean to cause harm, you know, it's not really your motivation, but your defects of character took over, you got stuck in self. Um, do you believe that you're, you know, you deserve to be forgiven if you regret what you did and try, you know, and are willing to live differently? And I think most people will say yes. Uh, if they say no, I tell them, well, you know, how are you sleeping at night? You sleeping okay at night? Is this bothering you like all the time? Like, are you able to live with yourself? And I think most people get enough sleep at night. It's not, it's not tearing them up. They've kind of made peace to kind of understand themselves and accept themselves that it's not, you know, uh, you know, keeping them up at night. So to a certain degree, I've forgiven myself. I've given myself sort of a pass. I understand, you know, I'm not a bad person. So, okay, are you open to the idea? I'm not asking you to actually do this, but are you open to the idea that this other person could be forgiven in a similar way? Um, and usually people will say yes, maybe not. But I think if they're, if they're honest with themselves, they'll be open to the idea that, hey, just like I've been in situations where um, I was in my defects of character, and I, I think I would like to be forgiven for that. I could, I'm open at least to the idea, the possibility that the other person could be forgiven in a similar way. Um, and then I say, okay, let's say a prayer. And the prayer is, uh, maybe before I, you know, the, the, the prayer uses a term called um, spiritually sick, this, uh, this idea of, of being spiritually sick. And I want to just explain, I explained to my sponsee, you know, what what do I mean when I say spiritually sick? When I say spiritually sick, because sometimes it sounds, oh, he's a he's sick, he's bad, he's a sicko. That's not what we mean when we say spiritually sick. When we say spiritually sick, we mean I this is the analogy that I would give, you know. It's imagine you're walking down the street and somebody walks right into you and knocks you over, and knocks you off your feet, right? So probably most people, their initial reaction would be to feel um, agitated and uh, frustrated and upset, maybe angry, resentful. Hey, why aren't you watching where you're going? You could hurt somebody. You're going to hurt me, right? 
Then you get up and you realize that the person is blind. It's a blind person that walked into and knocked you over. So how long do you think you would feel resentful towards that person? Okay. Probably not very long. Why? Because you understand that the person is blind. He didn't really intend to walk into you, but because of his blindness, his inability to see you um, and relate himself to you properly, he knocked you over and harmed you, right? So when we say spiritually sick, that's what we mean. We mean, just as I have been blind, blinded by my defects of character, blinded by selfishness and self-centeredness, unable to relate myself properly to the other person, and as a result, cause harm, you know, so too, that's, that's probably why, you know, this other person did the thing they did, because most people really don't mean to cause harm, they get stuck in self as I have been, and I can understand that from my own experience, and I can empathize with that, and I can understand a little bit. And um, so then we say a prayer. And, this, and that's what we have in mind when we say spiritually sick. And we say, God, you know, this person who, you know, I'm, I feel resentment toward, you know, is perhaps spiritually sick. You know, um, as I have been sick myself, as I have been spiritually sick, please help me show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that I would cheerfully grant a sick friend or that I would allow myself. When a person offended, right, this, this perhaps is a, is a sick person. How can I be helpful to them? God, save me from being angry. Your will be done. So I ask them to say this prayer, just the way that I said. And then I say, okay, now you can go into your fourth column and, and look at your defects of character. Now you should be saying, I mean, Daniel, why are you making things up? Where are you getting this from? I never heard about this, what you're talking about. Where are you getting this, right? I've never, you know, in all the sheets and all the forms that I see online for working step four, there's no, none of this is in there, right? So I'm going to read to you from page 66 going into page 67. And you tell me if what I just described to you, that process uh, is, in, is, is in the big book or not. So it says like this, this was our course. We realized that people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us they like ourselves were sick too we asked god to help us show them the same tolerance pity and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend when a person offended we said to ourselves this is a sick man how can i be helpful to him god save me from being angry thy will be done and then there's a little paragraph here, and it says, we avoid retaliation argument. We wouldn't trick, treat sick people that way. We wouldn't want others to treat us that way, right? If we do, that was paraphrased. If we do, we, we destroy our chance of being helpful. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to make a kindly, how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. Um, and then, and only then does the big book say, Referring to our list again, putting out, our, putting out of our mind the wrongs that others had done, we resolutely look for our own mistakes. Where have we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, and frightened? So only then does it discuss what we call the fourth column. We're looking at our part and our defects. So what we're really trying to do is we're trying to gain a kindly and tolerant view of people before we then even go into looking at our, our part. And if you look at the end of step four, in the big book on page 70, 
So you're going to see that I'm going to read to you in a second. But what it says is, is that one of the things that we're really trying to achieve, the whole purpose of step four is, is actually to make this change in, in perspective. So if you go to the bottom paragraph there, so it lists a lot of the things that we're trying to achieve through step four. And it says, if we have been thorough about our personal inventory, we have written down a lot. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We have begun to comprehend their futility and their fatality. We have commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. Okay. And listen to what else it says. We have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill toward all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. So that is actually something that, that step four is trying to achieve in us, that change in attitude. So without, if you would take out, this was our course and you, 10, great. So if you take out, this was our course and you go straight to the fourth column, looking at our part, you're skipping out this really important part of step four. Um, and um, so for me, you know, it really has been so important to, that before I look at my part, I go through that process with each and every resentment. I go through those questions that I ask myself, you know, um, about how I've been spiritually sick. And can I extend to the other person the same grace and the same option for forgiveness and the same empathy that I give myself? Can I give that to the other person? Am I open at least to the idea that to the, the other people? And so I think that, that that empathy and that kind kindness and tolerance that's developed through this was our course is really, really important, an integral part of step four. And I don't know, I just don't hear, I don't hear a lot about it. Um, so that was, um, you know, the main thing that I really wanted to share about. And I wasn't sure how long it was going to take, and it didn't take very long to get through it. <laughs> um, so... Um, so, yeah, so I'm very curious to hear people's experience about has your sponsor, you know, included that in your working of the, of the fourth step? Um, how has that prayer been a part of it? How has this was our course uh, been a part of the process? I'd be I'd love to hear about it. And, and I'd love to just uh, uh, hear about what anybody has to say on that, because, like I said, I've just been I've been uh, sponsoring for almost nine years. And it was the way my sponsor took me through it. And I've just never heard of anybody else really um, describing this was our course in their working of the fourth step. And it just really intrigues me. So I'd love to hear more about that. Um, and I don't know, Daniel, what do you think? Do you think we can just open up and let people, let people share and uh, give, give more time to that? Or would you prefer that I try and fill up a little more of the time? What do you think? It's is If you have some sort of top plate issue you'd love to share, you've got time to do <laughs> that. Some Sometimes things come up with the questions and you're not limited on your response time to the questions as yeah. well. So that may bring up some, some interesting topics as we do that. Okay, yeah, because it's dangerous. To, it's also dangerous to ask me about my top plate. <laughs> It's another dangerous question. Uh, <laughs> I'll definitely use up all the time on that. But um, uh, I'll tell you what my top plate is. Yeah, this is a, right. I'll tell you what my top plate is, and I and I'm happy to give a little extra time to questions um, and share. So my top plate is I am working on this with my sponsor. Um, what's great about step four is that. Um, 
you know, it opens the door to to emotional sobriety. And emotional sobriety is the final frontier for any Star Trek fans. It's not space. It's not outer space. It's the, the final frontier is emotional sobriety and relational sobriety. Um, and so sexual sobriety and working the steps and fourth step and that, that opens the door for that. It lays a foundation for that. Um, and, um, it, you know, it took me, sometimes it takes years to clear away all the wreckage and all the blockage to get to a place where I could start to look at my emotional insobriety and my relational insobriety. For me, it took me, although I improved a lot and made progress, it really took me, I think, six years of working the program before I really was, I started to look at some really repetitive negative patterns and behaviors and issues that were causing me to be emotionally, you know, not sober. Um, and um, one of the things that I'm working on today with my sponsor, uh, my advanced degree in uh, emotional sobriety, um, is, the, is, is nurturing and strengthening the belief that in this moment, in any moment really, and, and especially in a moment where I feel uncomfortable or disturbed, especially, and especially if it's somebody else's behavior that is triggering that, to really believe that in this moment, I have absolutely everything that I need to be completely happy and whole without anything outside of me needing to change. Everything can stay exactly the way it is, and I have everything that I need. My higher power has provided me and within me, myself, everything that I need to be completely happy and whole. And that is something that I am working on very, very strongly. Thank God, because I think of a few years of work, it's an easier process than if I had been trying to do that in my first year or my second year, even my fourth or fifth year, maybe. But everything in the right time. So I'm, with that, I'm going to, um, I'm going to uh, end and, and open it up. And I thank you for this opportunity because it helps me stay sober and helps me feel connected to you. Thank you. Yeah, hi, Daniel. Thank you so much for your share. So as soon as you said step four, and it's in the big book, and not a lot of people said it, I, not a lot of people talk about it, I said, could he be talking about the comma on page 67 of the big book? Because that's how I was taken through step four resentment, was that when it says putting out of our minds the wrongs that we had done, we're still looking at that second column. And so where have I done that exact same defect to that person in my own creative way? And then also, where have I done that to everybody in my entire life? And so we would laugh and say, if you don't have 30 names or more in one resentment, we need to look back and look over it because... Um, it's such a rich text. And so where people of punctuation in that comma referring to that list is so very important. And yes, that sick man prayer, it, it's it, the whole purpose of the resentment inventory is to see them as sick and not evil and to see myself as sick and not better than. And so that, you know, I now see that person as equal Time. to me. And uh, thank you for letting me share and for sharing that. Pass. Thanks, Laura. And, and Daniel, if something occurs to you and you wish to respond or expand on something, feel free. And next up, uh, we have Claudia. Hi, thank you so much, Daniel. 
was great to hear you. Um, yeah, I never heard it this way. And my experience is I do it this way because this is the only way it, it helps to see how did I, I do the same things. It makes me more compassion. And I think it's, it's, it's all about this. The program is all about compassion, to be compassionate to myself and towards others and forgiveness. And I don't know, it's, it's an ongoing process. I'm, I'm in step nine and I learn about, a lot about uh, forgiveness, but it's always the same. It's, I just need to look first. How did I the same things that I can forgive myself and get compassion for myself? And then I can I can see, yes, this is a human right. being like me, and I have the same problems. So for me, thank you. For me, it was really great to hear. Thank you so clearly to, to hear this was great for me. Thank you. Yeah, thank you both, Laura and uh, Claudia. I'm glad to hear that. Thanks, Claudia. Next, uh, Uwe. Yeah, this is Uwe Lasterholly. Um, first of all, uh, I use this prayer um, regularly daily as part of my 10th step. So whenever I feel angry or resentful today, I immediately pray, this is a sick person. How can I be helpful to him or her? And I can let go of this anger. So it's not only I use this as part of my official fourth step, but as ongoing. Um, the next thing I want to say is, um, and this is also kind of Uwe thing. It's not directly specifically there in the big book, but I have a list. There are maybe 10 or 12 things listed on there of things I, I feel were the worst things I ever have done in my life. And if I cannot let go of this terrible resentment against somebody, I take out this list, not to beat myself up, but to make my okay, well, yeah, you did. Those are the three worst things I ever have done, and that puts what this person does to me in perspective. And I usually, I, okay, I mean, he did not uh, return my call or answered my call. Yeah, okay. And then the next thing, and this is also uh, what my sponsor did. He took it one step further, even. Um, again, this is not, this is his flavor of the big cake we bake here. It's not in the book there. So he suggested to me, well, why don't you write down three things you can be grateful for, for this person in your life? And I, first I barked and I said, no way. I mean, there's nothing I can be grateful for this person. You know, he is just, no. But then I did it, and that changed my perspective too. Yeah, yeah, I can be grateful for, for, for him or her being my life. You know, look, we spent good time together. Or, 
he showed me this and that. I mean, there's always something. And and that helped me too to let go of, of, of the resentment and to forgive and switch to gratitude. Yeah, so I pass. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You guys are teaching me things too. Good. Thanks, Uva. And let's see. Well, Sarah was on the list. It looks like she's dropped off. And I don't have any other virtual hands raised. So feel free to speak up if you have a question or you would like to share something. Hey, guys. I'm David. I'm a sex addict. Um, Daniel, thank you so much, man. It was good to hear you. Um, and I learned something new every, every, uh, every day. Um, and, um, you know, I love that, that prayer. And for me, you know, that prayer in the middle before I go from, cause that those, those first columns are, you know, where I live my life, you know, it was always, the problem was always out there and I don't have the strength to honestly take a look at myself. So I need that prayer to, you know, to go to God and say, God, give me the strength and the courage to look at my part in this and then go answer those questions. So um, that helps me as well. And um, I love what you said about emotional sobriety and that letter from Bill W. And the only way I can have relational effectiveness is through owning my part and taking my inventory and getting my selfishness and self-centeredness out of the way. So it's good to be uh, here with everyone. And uh, thanks for the share today. Thank you. Thanks, David. Uh, let's see. Let's go ahead and open it up also to folks with fewer than 30 days of sobriety. If you also have a question, uh, feel free to speak up. I have no virtual hands up. So speak up if you have a question or wish to share. Oh, hi, it's Francois. You can see my hand is up. Oh, go ahead, Francois. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, Francois, sexaholic. Daniel, thank you so much for your share. Um, it was great, and it spoke to something that I've struggled with, emotional sobriety. And thank you very much for the people that um, contributed. I um, heard some really good things. Um, the question I have, Daniel, is regarding resentment and step one. I've come to understand that step one means to me that I need to stop fighting against my... Um, disease I just have to accept my sexaholism I'm pretty much in a quicksand and I'm definitely going to sink and I can either sink quickly or slowly and step one for me is to stop fighting and just accept I'm in the quicksand and two and three are my higher power has a rope if I stop fighting and listen to my higher power he can pull me out that's how I'm seeing things and it's it's changed my attitude towards my sexaholism. Where does resentment fall into this? Because when I wake up in the morning today, I tell myself I am not going to fight against my disease. I'm not even going to try and fight it. But resentment just feels different. 
it, it's like, honestly, resentment's like orange juice. I just can't help but drink the orange juice. It just feels different. Um, I'd appreciate your thoughts on what resentment is in comparison to sexaholism. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for that question. I'll try and uh, make a stab at that since we're talking about resentments. So, you know, I, th I think Roy does discuss this a little bit in the, in the literature as well. He discusses resentment and the lust relationship between resentment and, uh, and lust, how they're connected. But, you know, you know, if you look at the defects of character as like a, as an iceberg, and, you know, with the Titanic and the iceberg, so you have the iceberg, the, the part that's sticking out of the water that's visible, that's the smallest part. It gets wider as you go underneath the, the water, surface of the water. So a sexaholic typically comes in because what's what's sticking out the most is lust. That's That's the defect that's the most visible and the most prominent and giving him the most trouble. But at, once he becomes sober and learns how to surrender lust and starts to have an awakening, he starts to see what's underneath. And, and usually the next thing is usually anger and resentment is usually like really right underneath that. And then or fear and, you know, selfishness and control. And it just like gets wider. So I think that and a lot of people do report that, you know, once they get off the drug, they are much more agitated and angry and and short and uh, start, you know, going off the handle in ways that when they were medicating with lust, they didn't have to, you know, feel, feel those feelings. Um, so resentment, I think, from my own experience, from speaking with others, is also a drug. You get an adrenaline hit from being in resentment. Like I've, I've, I've had rages and anger and rages and the, when you're in it, you feel powerful and invincible and in control. And immediately afterward, it feels horrible. It's like coming down from, you know, you start to experience the toxicity of the, of the drug. Um, so lust, you know, is many things. Um, part of it for me was definitely a drug that made me, that gets my heart rate going, that gets my blood flowing, that gets my adrenaline going, makes me feel alive, makes me feel powerful. Um, when I take that, out of my uh, daily experience, there's a deficit there. I think it's natural that the next thing that's going to, that, that because I'm so wired uh, chemically and emotionally, spiritually, physically for that, you know, to, to have access to this immediate rush and this hit and this power that I've been using lust for, you take lust out, I think the next area I'm going to go to is resentment and anger and rage. And that, you know, so I think that that is usually sitting in the, in the iceberg right under lust and usually fills maybe not doesn't, you know, doesn't give you the same hit as lust, but maybe something comparable. Maybe it's a, a, a cheaper substitute. Um, so that's my thought on that. Thanks, Francois, for the question and Daniel for your response. And the floor is still open for everyone. Yeah, Gary, sexaholic. Go ahead, Gary. Just reflecting on that uh, uh, getting to forgiveness. It's much easier if I can get to uh, 
and I have done that in the past, saw myself doing the same situation or doing the same behavior. There's not very many things that I haven't done, which I, and it, it, it kind of spins it around and makes me realize, well, you know, we're all human beings. We're all um, struggling along. <clears throat> Some of us have found, been fortunate enough to find a program which, um, to get a little relief from the uh, unmanageability of our feelings and our lives, escape, but all addictions are escape, way to manage our minds, our emotions, survival mechanism, I guess we call it. So uh, when I'm in my heart space, I can uh, come from that place of compassion and understanding. And when I'm in the angry, resentful, I'm blocked off from my heart space. I'm just see from my ego. And ego doesn't know compassion really. It has just comparing and uh, fight, fight, flight, survival stuff. So when um, you can slow it down long enough and, and uh, yeah, look in my heart, I can find the forgiveness there. And, and forgiveness for myself. Because <clears throat> I think Jesus said that too. If you can't, you can't, uh, you know, if you have a splinter in your eye, or an, oh, don't look at the log in the other person, look at the, or look at the splinter in the other person, look at the log in your own eye. But it's much easier to look out than uh, to look in. And I spent most of my life looking out. So the reverse of that process is to uh, to come from my heart, my compassionate place. Forgiveness, I want forgiveness. Along with forgiveness, I have peace of mind. I can't have, my soul will always be in turmoil if I can't have forgiveness in my soul. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel, for your explanation of the step. I really appreciate that, too. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for the Thanks, Gary. And we're still open for sharing or questions. Well, Daniel, I think I'll jump in with the question, although I'm, I don't want to necessarily move us off this step four topic. We can definitely go back to that, but I wanted to pick your brain a little bit because I'm, I'm somewhat new to sponsoring and uh, I've had a couple of sponsees now who would get a few months of sobriety and then slip. And so... You know, I'm working with my sponsor, you know, he's kind of helping me and giving me suggestions. But I was just wondering how you handle sponsees who uh, who slip, what, because you're giving us some really practical advice today with 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 step four. 
what might be some real practical step-by-step advice when you have a sponsee who slips? Oh boy. That is the million dollar question. You know, I I was once uh, sitting in a car with an old timer and uh, I asked him similar question. (laughs) And he said to me, if I knew the answer, you know, why, why some people slip and why some people make it says I'd be a very rich man. If I knew the answer to that question, I'd bottle that. Um, It's very, very hard. You know, everybody's different. Everybody's got their own set of problems. But over the years, I kind of have noticed certain patterns and things in common. And um, I've started to, like, you know, develop my own little, I guess, rules or my own style of, you know, dealing, dealing with that issue. So it really is a big topic. I'll try and just touch on maybe what just comes to me. But, um, you know, most of the time, it's a result of just the person is just um, their step one is incomplete. They are just not really ready to do what is being asked of them for this process of recovery. They're just not there yet. I know for myself, I was not there until I was there. But before I was there, I was not there and nothing could get me there. <laughs> so I, I, I came to the program when I was 29. I, I wanted to stop when I was 17. So I had 12 years, you know, of not being ready. Um, and I'm telling you, a day, I could not have gotten sober a day before I did. I was not ready. And it's the one thing that, you know, we say we're powerless over our lust, we're powerless over others' lust. It's like, the, I, I very often feel just powerless as a sponsor over um, my sponsee being really ready, really ready to do the deal. Um, and, you know, because, uh, what, what a lot of people have is half of step one, right? They admit that they're powerless over lust that they're willing to admit. But the question is, is their life really unmanageable? Is it really unmanageable? You know, are you, is it really insane? Is it really so painful? You know, some people, I mean, this wasn't my story. I'm one of those like weirdos that like, when I got here, I was, I was done and I've, you know, one day at a time, I, I, you know, I've been sober since I, since I made my surrender and came in, came here, but a lot of people, I, you know, I, I, they, they, they just keep showing up, they act out and, and a day or two later, they're back at the meeting, smiling and, you know, and enjoying themselves. And I, you know, it, it, to me, it just seems like they're still managing it just like I managed it. You know, there's, they've found a balance. They found a, an agreement, uh, you know, uh, a way to work to, uh, they, they've, they've, inc- they've incorporated, you know, the program of SA, sadly, into their cycle of addiction. Um, I'm not saying this is the case with your sponsees necessarily. I'm just saying this is something that I commonly see where, you know, I'll act out, uh, you know, life gets uncomfortable. I act out. Um, I finish acting out. I come back to the meeting, you know, I can share, people accept me, people give me, you know, I get relief. Um, I, I start to build myself back up. Life gets gets uncomfortable again. I act out and just repeat the process. Um, so, yeah, so some people, you know, it's just they haven't gotten to the unmanageability and I just wish I could, you know, give them a pill and get them there. 
but you know everybody's got to get their own time so that so most often 90% of the time it's just the guy has just got to be honest with himself it's not what he says or what he thinks it's how he acts it's the actions he takes or doesn't take i mean do you see your sponsee the i mean you don't have to answer this but you know question to think about do you see your sponsee doing everything that you tell him to do does he do it in a timely way when you say hey um read th- these pages and and get back to me once you finish reading that does he call you 15 20 minutes later saying i've read it what's next help me let's go you know let's work on what's next or is is it a week or two before you hear from him to read three pages you know so don't you know i always tell people don't listen to what i say and don't listen to what i you know watch my feet you know watch my actions the actions i take and how i behave and so look at the behavior you know will i tell I tell them willingness is an action show me an action your willingness not with your words um and um so yeah so i think 90% of the time it's the it's the sponsee um 10% of the time i have seen uh it could be the sponsor the sponsor is maybe a busy guy he's gotten his life back he's enjoying life he's busy he's got a tight schedule he's got several sponsees it's possible he's just not making enough time for the person he doesn't have the guys like like if you know sometimes you know you call if you have too many sponsors you're like where were we again what were we doing what step are you on it all just kind of meshes together so i'm not saying that's your story but sometimes it can be the sponsor that either the sponsor is just way too busy is not giving the guy the focus the attention sometimes the sponsor just doesn't really know the a to b to c to d like the process so it's not so clear to him and he doesn't know okay at this point my sponsor is supposed to be here this is where we're moving next and this is where he's supposed to get to once he's there we're going to move to the sometimes it's just not always clear to the to sponsors maybe they're inexperienced maybe they just weren't given over the program in such a like a clear way that's why i always remain very rooted in the literature because it keeps you moving and it keeps you you know very specific actions and you don't have to make up too much and and be create and come up with things uh which delays the process um So those are the you know those are what it comes down to I think the big question is asking the person you know what are you willing to change about the way you live are you has is the sponsor changing the way he lives change you know or is he just basically trying to live more or less the same way and just if you just take out the lust I have a good life just take the lust out and then everything's fine leave everything the way it is as opposed to the big book which says our our whole life and the way we live has to be torn out the foundations torn out and and put in from you know uh from scratch and we need to recreate it uses expressions like recreate our lives and you know reconstruct your whole life you know he's using bill w is using all these construction terms <laughs> um and um you know so i think that you know like i said if if nothing changes nothing changes is he changing the way he's living along with doing what you say your your instructions in a timely way if not it's possible you know um that he's just not ready yet for me i find it difficult to continue to work with somebody who's not staying sober um you know i wouldn't say it's exactly a three strike rule like some people have three strikes you're out but if it's you know if it if if i if i see that he is relapsing and and he's not getting sober and he's and he's not taking the actions um i will usually i feel it's my responsibility as a sponsor not to enable him 
to continue to do, to, to do what he's doing by saying, what you're doing is okay. We can still have, we're, we're still working the steps. We're still working the program. We're still having a sponsor-sponsor relationship. Uh, I don't think that is happening if the guy is relapsed because what I'm giving him isn't helping him. And how much is it going to help me after a while if I see that I'm just not helping him either? Like I'm keeping him sick by him staying working with me. Maybe if he finds somebody else, somebody else has something. Or maybe just by the fact that I stop working with him, he realizes, hey, if I don't really do this deal, you know, I'm not, he's not, he's not going to feel a, self, a, 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 um, a false sense of security. So, um, so those are just some thoughts that I had. So thank you. Thank you, Daniel. That, yeah, that was, that was really wonderful. I appreciate that. And we still have time for probably maybe two more shares or questions. And by, by the way, in the chat, Francois has said, uh, thanks, Daniel, very helpful. I'd like to talk more about this in the parking lot, if that's okay, because this is a very important topic for me, if that's okay. So, so, that's so, so, so I'm not going to be able to stay uh, in the parking lot because I got to run to my local meeting for a newcomer meeting. Otherwise, I would stick around. But, but, um, but, but, no feel free, but feel free to get my WhatsApp and my contact information from either Nancy or the host if he has it. Or Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Daniel. And we will have a parking lot, even if Daniel can't attend. And there will, there should be some folks with uh, some sobriety in the parking lot who can, can address the issue from their particular uh, perspective as well. So we still have a little bit more time. Ryan, sexaholic. Go ahead, Ryan. I'll just say I, you know, I'm I'm still pretty new into this process. It's been about four months, and I think I'm getting kind of whacked with that reality of emotional sobriety. I'm only on step two, um, but I just have a ton of emotions, anxiety, panic that I think I've probably numbed for a long time. Um, so I don't know if there's a question in it. I just I just want to say I, I, I think it gives me hope to begin to address some of those deeper places that drive my addiction and, and the ways that I escape. And I think it feels and looks so different than what I anticipated going into this process. I think I was hopeful to arrive somewhere and just realizing like, man, this is a, this is a journey and uh, things that are, that are broken, really broken in me. And uh, so anyway, I just grateful for your share. It gave me a little, perspective on just the emotional sobriety, relational sobriety. Uh, I don't know if you want to speak on that from, from where I am, like how to keep pushing in, even when I'm feeling these emotional impacts of addiction. Um, but other than that, just grateful. All right. Thanks for sharing. If I could just say, you know, we have an expression in recovery, first things first. So I would say, you know, get, Keep, keep working through those steps in a timely way and it will get better. The steps will move you forward in ways that you may not be aware of or believe in yet, but you know, the best is yet to come. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, the first step is the problem, but the solution you're, you know, is, is to and onward. So I would say, get through those steps, get, you know, get to get to that step four. We'll start to address a lot of the emotional issues and um, just keep moving, keep moving. 
Um, and, and I think things will start to change and open up, but it's all, we, what we have is a spiritual program of action, which means we get spiritual results when we take actions. And the actions are the steps and the tools of the program. So, you know, if you work those, those will, those will move you forward much faster than, um, than staying on one step and, you know, and um, which is not what I'm saying you're doing. You're not doing this, but I have seen this is staying on one step and just kind of philosophize, philosophizing around that step and trying to understand the step as opposed to focus on the actions that step that move you to the next one and the next one and the next one. Thank you. Thanks for the question, Ryan and Daniel. Um, we have time for maybe one more. Don't be shy. If you've got a question, it's probably on everyone else's minds as well. Well, then, if no one else wants to say something, and I would double dip. This is Uwe. Go ahead, Uwe. Um, another comment to come back to our first topic, the forgiveness slash prayer process. Uh, another thought which I found quite helpful, and this is... Um, a thought out of the literature also in the big book uh, from Dr. Paul's story in the story section. Now, don't nail me down for the English pages because I use the German version of the big book. That is, I believe it's a, probably around page 449. So he talks about acceptance is the answer, right? So most of us are familiar with that part. But there it says, we are all God's children and we all have a right to be here. And this line uh, comes up um, frequently in connection when I uh, feel, feel a resentment and, and I pray, uh, I take a new perspective, uh, the spiritual sickness perspective we were talking about. Yeah, and for me, I add that, yeah, my, my brothers and sisters and me, we are all on the same way. We just try to make our way to the light, right? And that helps immediately this thought to be compassionate. Compassion is the word, yeah. So uh, that's it, thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Uwe. Hi, Laura, can I double dip? Go ahead, Laura. Yeah, I just wanna share that, um, Oh gosh, there was something that was coming to me about. So for me, I was um, a rageaholic and I woke up in the morning raging and I went to sleep raging and there was nothing I could do about it. And the most important thing with that step four comma with um, where have I done the exact thing to that person and where have I done the exact thing to anybody ever in my entire life was that it was the only thing that killed the resentment, the pain. So I became very attuned to it's gone. 
for the first time in my life, it was gone. And I was free from that resentment for the first time. And so I would have to work a resentment inventory sometimes two to three times a week because being addicted to resentments and it being a bigger drug than lust. See, I lust out because I'm, I'm maxed out on my resentment. So when I get off resentment, I've got a bigger thing to face. So I had to do a resentment inventory sometimes two to three times a week. And accountability was huge for me. So I would, I would intellectually show how someone wronged me, but then someone would tell me, but you know what? You seem disturbed. Would you like to do a resentment inventory on that? And so accountability was also very important for me. So um, I, I really, really appreciate it. The other thing is that if I turned these harms that people did to me over to God, he transforms them. Everything that I hand over to God through working the steps, he produces life by them. So I don't have to be bitter for the wrongs done to me. I, I, can, I can let people be exactly as they are in the situation that comes to me. Thank you so much, and I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks, Laura. Okay. Um... I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.